Hello and welcome to Dance Talks. I'm your host, Andrea Cody. Today is November 6th, 2020, and my guests are Tina Sabuco and Anissa Dwiggins. Tina is the founder and artistic director of Arts Alive, and Anissa Dwiggins is the executive director of Arts Alive. Tina and Anissa, welcome to Dance Talks. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Let's start from the beginning. How did you learn to dance and develop your skills? Um, when I was, this is Tina, and uh, when I was three years old, my mom put me in dance in, in Upper Michigan, Escanaba, Michigan, and I have been dancing ever since. I took uh, ballet, tap, and jazz, um, and when I was in high school, I started teaching um, when I was a freshman, 15 years old, um, and so I have been teaching for a very long time. And that's how I got started. I just, uh, I loved it. Dance was my life. And um, I also got into theater in um, uh, middle school and uh, also been doing that all my life. Cool, how about you, Anissa? My experience has been as an adult. Uh, I met Tina in 1998 uh, in a Creative Movement Arts Alive class. And I've been there ever since and I've had uh, really no professional like dance classes or anything like that. It's all been through Arts Alive and as Tina as my guide and mentor. Awesome. How did you two meet? Like, how'd you end up in that class? Funny story. I graduated in 1998 uh, from U of H and went to teach in HISD and was just not happy at all teaching an art class. And a friend of mine had come across this company called Arts Alive. And she said, it's not for me, but I think it might be a good fit for you. So I called Tina, went to go see a class at Becker Early uh, Childhood uh, Learning Center. And that was in the morning, <clears throat> excuse me. And we interviewed that night and she hired me. And I've been with the company ever since. And, you know, I went from uh, just teacher to coordinator, executive director, and now I'm part owner. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Wow, 22 years? Crazy. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, half my lifetime, practically. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So please tell us about what you do, what Arts Alive does. Well, it's it's evolved over the years. Um, in the beginning, I when I first moved to Houston, um, I was still working on my thesis, which was uh, basically um, using creative drama um, to teach dance to preschoolers. And um, I was going to UT and I still was working on my thesis. Um, and I was here in Houston and saw that it seemed like people could really use, even, even in the preschool, um, a lot of uh, movement. Kids were still sitting in circles a lot and um, I just really thought that what I was developing was going to be great for this area. And so um, I started teaching at um, the Children's Museum and teaching a class and somebody found me and said, hey, we've been looking for somebody like you at Becker, um, which uh, Anissa was talking about. And then I also was, um, I contacted Montrose Library, and um, they were doing um, their summer reading program. And I said, 
I've done what uh, I've done summer reading programs in Austin, and they said, "Come on, do your thing." And then the third person was um, I uh, went to the um, uh, HAEYC, which is um, was um, Houston Area Association for um, the Education of Young Children, and um, I presented at their conference and. Um, Ann Weiss, Dr. Weiss, came up to me, and she was the director of um, uh, School for Young Children, and she said, I've been looking for you for a long time, and I was like, I just moved to town, and she's like, no, <laughs> somebody like you, and so um, I started Arts Alive, um, just, it, it, it was at first, um, uh, uh, an idea that I'm like, I think I can make this work. And, um, you know, I was, I was not doing an, anything else as far as, um, working. And so I was hoping that I could, you know, create this program, um, using creative movement, uh, music, creative drama, um, and, and arts concepts, um, to teach what, um, I called integrated arts. And um, the other thing that happened was I was um, substitute teaching at a school, um, St. Mark's in the Heights. And um, I said, could I try my program here? And they let me. And in the fall, when I wasn't substituting anymore, um, that was really the first time that, um, okay, Arts Alive is, um, uh, is uh, a real thing. And so um, that was our very first class. So all of those schools um, were our, our for my, I say our, because but at the time it was just me, um, my first clients. Awesome. And they are all still with us. Yes. That's wow. what's really incredible. Most of the clients that we do have have been with us since the beginning. And usually once we get a client, they're just, you know, part of our family. Um, I'd love to chime in a little bit about uh, what Arts Alive is. When I first met Tina, it was <clears throat> a class of maybe three and four-year-olds, a half-hour class. I'm like, how do you get anything done in half hours? And I didn't have a lot of experience with dance or movement or even teaching little ones. And the it was just really magical. What Arts Alive does is it takes children on uh, what we call imagination exploration, and that's morphed into education through imagination. So the theme at the, the day was uh, Dancing Through Disneyland, which we've transformed that title into Amusement Park Adventures. And we tell a story, set it to music, and it's full of all of these different movement and dance concepts, as well as communication and social concepts. So the kids are just playing along with us. We're telling the story, the songs change, we give different props or instruments, and as the songs change and the story develops, they uh, dance and play along with us, and it's truly magical for them. I, the, the joy that it brings is just uh, so fulfilling for us and for them. It's lots of fun. And lots of times when we start to describe what we, what we do, people are like, oh, so you're putting on a show. And it's like, no, it's it's... Um, very process oriented. What we are doing, the children are involved 100%. And it's not like we're ever standing up, um, you know, 
demons, not demonstrating, but you know, like a show. Putting it's on a not, show, right. Right, we're not putting on a show. It's um, completely it's, participatory. Right. And you mentioned the amusement adventures? Amusement park adventures. Amusement so we, park adventures. And how many themes do you have? Uh, well, around 50 or more. Like over the years, you know, we have about 50 that are our core lessons that we rotate on a biweekly basis. But over the past uh, five years, we've also developed a music curriculum and a yoga curriculum. So the, the beginning of Arts Alive, we've now, we now call that our creative movement curriculum. And it was just, this is Arts Alive. Now we have Arts Alive creative movement, Arts Alive music, and Arts Alive yoga. So our, I, would, uh, I would say between the um, creative movement themes, the yoga themes, and the music themes, we're close to a hundred different types of themes and lesson plans. Wow. It's so with your created. music and your yoga, do they still have that narrative that the children go through? A hundred percent. Both of those curriculums have been developed by us, our staff through years of doing arts alive. So music was just a natural progression and, um, Stacy Hall, one of our other staff members, helped develop that, and she and Tina have worked on it for a while, and it's it has the same thing. There's a story, there's a playlist, we have props and instruments, and the kids learn the concept of whatever that lesson plan is through the music, through the movement, through the imagination, and then came the yoga curriculum, which I developed, and it was just such an easy transition to take the stories that we already have and develop that into a, a flow of yoga poses and telling a story. And it's, it's just the best. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, I think awesome. what's one of the wonderful things that um, Stacy Hall did with our music curriculum is that um, she took the, the concept of creating a story from a theme but instead of her themes being um, like our creative movement ones, which are like fun on the farm, mermaid mania, zany zoo, things um, that are thematic um, from, I, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Um, what she did was she took music concepts and those become the themes. So it's like love in Louisiana, it's Zydeco music. It's um, folk festival, uh, you know, fun at the folk festival. It's um, a country music theme. It's woodwinds. It's percussion. And the story revolves around that instead of the other way around. So um, I love that. I love teaching the music curriculum. It's uh, And we also tweak it a little bit so we can use some of the uh, music curriculum to um, teach creative movement too, because there's always movement involved. But um, Jenny, our uh, one of our teachers, just took the Love in Louisiana um, lesson plan, which we created to be a music one, and she tweaked it so that we can use it as a creative movement one, pr primarily a creative movement one. Fun. Yeah, it is fun. What age range do you teach? Infants through uh, lower elementary, usually second grade. Uh, for our core curriculum is uh, we do infants, so baby, baby, six weeks uh, and up. And we they, of course, each have an adult with them. But once they're able to sit up and walk on their own, they're, you know, they can fully enjoy all of our curriculum. And 
second grade around eight years old is really when kids are like, I'm a little too cool to dance and play around. So we actually have developed um, Arts Alive Advanced, where we take the concepts of what Arts Alive is and morph that into age-appropriate movement and drama games. Uh, The yoga itself actually extends a little bit further uh, to, to fifth grade, just because yoga is what yoga is, and it's a it's more physically challenging. And we start our yoga program at about three and a half years old. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say for the creative movement, the majority of the children that we teach are from two to five. Yeah, the preschool. And, and, right. And then um, the other thing I was going to mention is I do work with seniors with um, Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, right now, we have not been doing that as much, but um, Sue Sheffman is our um, expert in that area, and um, she was teaching at Seven Acres. Um, we've been at Seven Acres forever, and um, it's one of her highlights of, of her week when she is there, and I love doing it, too. I just have not been doing it as much, and neither of us, obviously, have been doing it much lately. <laughs> So on a typical year, how many schools do you visit and approximately how many children do you get to teach? I'll, I'll give that one to Anissa. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, have about 40 schools per semester with uh, approximately 10 teachers. That fluctuates a little bit depending on the season because summer is a little bit different. But it's crazy to say, but thousands of kids per semester because, you know, we're going out in some of our schools like, oh, I have a half hour class and I've got six students enrolled in this. Where at another school, Becker's a perfect example, bringing them up again, we are part of their curriculum. So they uh, bring all of their kids to us. So on a weekly basis, we have 12 classes rolling every single student on campus. And we have a lot of schools like that. So it's, it's really fun to try and look back over 25 years and think of how many kids we have been, uh, we've taught, been in their presence. And it's, you know, just, I think we came up with well over 10,000, maybe 20,000. It's, or even more. I don't know. Easily. It's, it's mind boggling. Right. Cause we will do a summer program and I've got a hundred kids in a room. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily this past summer, but. Right. <laughs> In normal times. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And when you're there, you're always observed by the teachers in, that typically teach those kids. So how do you think you're, um, how do you think you're impacting, like when you go to a school, uh, what footprint do you leave there? Uh, well, a few things happen. It's, it's really interesting. We have some schools where the teachers stay with us, with their class and participate with us. We have some teachers that uh, that's their break time. It's literally, you know, Arts Alive is part of the family. Arts Alive comes. They, we take their dozen kids, and those teachers get to take a break, or one takes a break, one stays with us. And uh, some schools, like a school that parents enroll their students, we go collect the children from a classroom and uh, take the kids with us so the teachers aren't actually in the room with us. But, um, as far as a footprint that we're leaving, part of the Arts Alive philosophy and everything that we do is really, we're, we're a part of their family and they're a part of our family. So we work with every school, just whatever they need. And we've even developed programs where Arts Alive can provide professional development hours. 
So if their teachers stay with us and participate with us, we can give them tips on how to use our techniques in their own classroom. So we have those teachers, you know, kind of sign up with us. We give them uh, their credit hours for that semester. And we just do our best to work with each school based on whatever their needs are. And another thing that we do is we do a lot of um, in-services and professional development. Um, We are at conferences where one of our um, goals is to share our philosophies and our methodologies. And it's not just a lecture. We take them through all of the things we do with the children. And then we talk about the whys. And uh, it's, it's really, that is one of my favorite things to do. I love um, sharing what we do with teachers so that they can go out and do the, you know, similar things. It's not like we are trying to teach them how to, to teach an Arts Alive class. Um, we make that very clear. Um, but some of them are, I mean, some of them are movement teachers. Um, some of them are music teachers that come. Um, but the majority are uh, usually they're preschool or early elementary teachers, um, just regular classroom teachers that just want um, uh, some ideas on how to make their classroom time more dynamic. We actually call that program Igniting Joy Through Movement. And that's what our entire philosophy is based on, like bringing a little bit of joy into your classroom or a lot through movement, through music. And we've been doing it so long. There's just, we get a lot of questions, you know, hands in the air. Well, how am I supposed to do that in my science class or my math class? And we always have the answer because we've encountered so many different scenarios with so many different topics that there's always a way. And we do have some naysayers that are like, well, this is never going to work with Stevie or this is never going to work with Jan, you know, and it's, um, because they are thinking (laughs) their glass is half empty oftentimes and they are already thinking like, well, this isn't going to work because this is how this child is. And we go from, you know, a a whole other uh, philosophy that it's so magical and so fun. And I, I can really say that rarely do I have a child that is not into the way that we teach. They love it because it's through their imagination. And there is usually, a, you know, the uh, philosophy of, you know, never say no. Yes, you know, yes, elephants fly. Yes, trees are purple. And who wouldn't want to be doing that? So um, we do, uh, with those teachers, um, give them examples and talk about uh, particular, you know, children that we've had that it, you know, it, it will work. It does work. Awesome. Can I chime in on that? Uh, One of our philosophies is creating success for every student. And when we do our professional development and are talking to these large groups of teachers, it's, you know, excuse me, our, our experience is a little bit different. We have these kids, you know, once a week and a lot of teachers are with their students all day long and trying to get our message across to like really look at every single student and do what's best for them is sometimes a challenge. But, you know, our goal is to share that philosophy of finding, connecting with that one particular student that might not be joining in with all the others. And 
Yeah, we hope that we reach all of the ones that are having the difficult uh, times with their students, but yeah. And those children are the ones that need it the most, yes. oftentimes. We will often have a teacher when they are um, delivering a class to us saying like, <clears throat> you need to watch out for this one. And we kind of, you know, we put blinders on and earplugs and just think, okay, they didn't, they didn't say that. I'm just going into it thinking that these kids are all, you know, just people that I am teaching. And um, oftentimes those kids are the ones that are our favorites and, and we love them. Can you give us a hint on how you bring them into the fold and, you know, shepherd them? <laughs> yeah, both of us raising our hands. Yeah, you go, take turns. Go, Great. You go, Anissa. Uh, Arts Alive is all about uh, joy. And if a child feels joy in just moving their body around, and it's usually those kids that are the quote unquote problem children in a regular classroom because they need to move their body. And as, you know, Andrea, you know this, dancers and movers that we're in the business of, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing that that's what humans need is to move their bodies. And so when we get that one kid in our classroom, they become, they, they can shine because we're not saying go sit down. It's okay if I'm showing my book and that child is standing up instead of sitting down because that's what his body needs to do. And that's where we come in and really try to find that place where what can make this child successful? If he wants to sit on the edge of the carpet and observe and not participate, that's okay because that's what he needs to do. It's not hurting anyone. It's not disruptive. But here I have another girl that's going to do laps around the entire area while I'm showing my book or, you know, a child raising their hand. I had chicken nuggets for dinner. I had chicken nuggets for dinner. And all of that <laughs> is going on at the same time. And it's, it's okay in an Arts Alive class. And that's why most children, I mean, like Tina said, there's rarely a case where a child doesn't really enjoy our class. Like, but if, if there's a child that doesn't want to participate, it's usually because they are just an observer or maybe, you know, there's music, there's movement. It might be a little overwhelming. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, but we give the freedom of a child, uh, the opportunity to self-regulate. And oftentimes in a regular classroom, every kid, everybody has to do the same thing, sit the same way, uh, keep, you know, keep quiet, do this. And we just don't do that in Arts Alive. It's, I can listen to five children, tie a shoe, play the music and pass out props at the same time. <laughs> it's, We're yeah. very good multitaskers. Um, I have an example that just happened yesterday um, about a way to involve children. So um, I'm teaching on Zoom right now at the school that I mentioned, the School for Young Children, which is um, a school for children with language learning differences. Uh, um, a lot of them are on the spectrum, um, some slow learners, some are um, dyslexic. I mean, there's a, all different. Um, and uh, they are also a little older than our, our normal um, children. They start at um, age six and they go to 12. So these children are um, older, and also when I'm teaching them in their um, regular classroom, I'm teaching 
um, 12 children at a time. But with Zoom, um, I'm teaching between three and six at a time. And so um, I the last couple of times, because of the disconnection on Zoom, um, I've had a couple of children that didn't seem like they were as, um, they, they weren't wanting to be as involved. And so yesterday I really wanted to have success. And my theme was um, th all about Thanksgiving. And so um, when I was lesson planning, I decided that I was going to have them invite guests to our Thanksgiving feast. So when they got, um, when they arrived in, in the Zoom room, I said, go find two stuffed animals um, as guests because we're going to take them to our feast today. And it was such a successful day simply because they got to choose whatever in there. I mean, they all like, as soon as I said it, like they looked at me in disbelief. <laughs> it was like, okay, <laughs> yes. And you know, they're running to get them. And we, I used the, um, the stuffed animals. We went to the farm and we danced with the animals and um, we got to the feast and we were, you know, making food for them. And um, it really was fantastic. And I, I, I taught six classes yesterday and all of them were so successful. And I think it was because um, I went to where they were, where they are, which I talk a, a lot about, not only with excuse me, not only with our children, but um, with when we're working with people with Alzheimer's and dementia, go into their world. And so I'm, I, these children are at home. I was trying to figure out what to do. So I went into her, their world to, and let them choose their stuffed animals, just like we do with um, the classes with people with Alzheimer's and dementia. I um, go into their, their world. So instead of uh, making them do something that, uh, you know, okay, now we're just going to do some exercise and stretch. Um, we are, um, you know, uh, we're children again, and we're picking apples in the tree, and we're reaching our arms up. And I've had care caregivers say, I have not seen her reach beyond, you know, just up to, you know, her shoulder or in front of her um, body in so long, and you had her extending her arm. Um, and those are always the things that make me so happy when I when somebody's doing something that um, they have not ever done or you know that they've stopped doing. Um, part of what we were talking about earlier with the professional development and our methodologies, that what Tina just explained is across the board. Every teacher that we bring in, we talk to them extensively about know your audience. Tina was working with a school for young children. She's on Zoom and so she's really trying to reach that audience. We go to about 40 different schools. Every school has a different way that they uh, do everything. Every classroom is different. Some classrooms have teachers in them. You know, we're teaching all these different ages. So a little, you know, key thing to remember is when you're in front of your audience, your students, it's really about them. I, we don't have, well, we have our lesson plan, like here's our wonderful world of water lesson plan. But we can take that for infants up through the seniors by really training our teachers how to engage and take it to where those kids are. So it's not really trying to 
we have a circle and it's everybody's inside this circle. It's now here's our lesson plan and we're developing it as we go, really trying to make it successful for whoever we're in front of. Yeah, and I've heard you talk about it really being play-based. Yes. So what's the importance of play? And at what point do you think kids do need to just like get in line and put their heads down Never. and sit in their seat and do their work? Never. Right, yeah, tell us. Never. <laughs> so, so what's so big about playing? You go, you have it first. It's so interesting, you know, I, I came in to Arts Alive in 98, Tina started it in 94. And so she just had, you know, all this background and, you know, developing this program from creative movement and drama and all of these things. And I really didn't know other than I like to have fun and play. So I felt like I just found this uh, perfect job where I get to play with children and they're actually learning stuff. And over the years, we've seen all of the science behind what play-based education really does for kids like we knew it we you know we didn't have all of the the science behind it right in the beginning it was here and there it was kind of like on the outskirts it's like ah you're just playing around with the kids it's like you don't understand you know we have fine and gross motor skills that we're incorporating and all of these things so using the imagination not only does it give those kids uh the a way to express themselves and find creative solutions in their own mind of how to move their body, how to communicate what they really need, how to self-regulate. It also gives that opportunity to for us to teach them skills that they need to know for uh, your fine and gross motor, cross-lateral development. So there's using play-based formulas open up so many possibilities. And it's just really interesting to see the progression of when Arts Alive started to how it is now that there's really a huge movement behind play-based education. When I began Arts Alive, I did not set out to go, you know, I, you know, I've, I've done all this research. I had done research in my thesis, but it was not about play-based learning. Um, uh, when I started it, I was just like, this is what I love to do. I love dancing with children i love i love dancing i love teaching i'm gonna put it together i love the theater and i love creative drama i'm gonna put all that together and i just did what i love and pretty soon i was you know out there going like wow this is a thing like people are now like talking about like you said andrea you know play-based learning and it's and anise and i talk about it's like we've we've been doing this for so long, you know, we are experts in this and, um, and, and try to share, um, what we have learned with, um, with the world like we are today. <laughs> uh, and to answer that question, Andrea, when do kids need to start falling in line or, you yeah. know, just really getting quote unquote, get with the program, what we hope to share with educators when we do our professional development or just people that come through our classroom is do they really need to fall into line? Can you have a group of kids walk down the hallway safely, quietly, following instructions 
without having that authoritarian, disciplinarian kind of structure around your classroom. It's like, what if we were butterflies floating down the hallway so quietly? And so there, there are ways to navigate, uh, I, I don't know, against the, the old school rules of uh, keep your mouth shut, sit in a circle, uh, hands behind your back. It's like, is it really safe to walk with your hands behind your back? What if you trip and fall? You know, and some teachers are like, well, I can't have all the kids talking at the same time. But through something like play-based learning, you can develop the, the child's ability to pretend and have a dramatic effect on what they're doing, even if they have to walk quietly down the hallway. And it's, it's an alternative way to think about things and really thinking outside of the box and changing the way that educators like bring some joy into the classroom instead of like I remember growing up and thinking some of my teachers were just always angry and just like wagging the finger and yelling and there's so many different ways to do it and I think play-based learning really helps open those doors to alternative ways to quote-unquote discipline a classroom or classroom management styles. I think that um children are capable of so much more than many people give them credit for. And um, they're putting them in, in, like Anissa was saying, you know, lines and circles and, you know, putting them in a box and um, just not letting them be free to begin with and learn from, from that. And I always, I, I, I wish that I could be a, um, a regular classroom teacher for a while and and experience a whole classroom and being able to give them that freedom all day long and and um make them into uh, um wonderful human beings that are just um uh happy and and doing what they want and i know that there are a lot of naysayers out there that say well we you know we have to do this because this is how it's going to be when they get older. And it's like, well, they can see that people are standing in a line because they need to, you know, it, it, and, and they can do that when they have to. Um, but you know, like Anissa was talking about, why not be able to just walk down the hall and, you know, talk quietly and um, not do, you know, bubbles and tails, you know, having to blow up your cheeks and put your hands behind your back and pretend you're, uh, uh, you know, not that your hands are tails. We see that so much, and um, it just seems like it's so stifling to children. One of the things that uh, I think, Tina, you were the one of, not one of, you taught me this when I first came in, like, when you're in a classroom, every, you know, the teachers want the kids to sit in a certain place, everybody has to be right here, but that child that wants to stand up in the back or maybe can't see in real life, people have to navigate through the world. There's not always a line to stand in. There are not always a, a rule to follow. So teaching kids how to self-regulate and f navigate their own space, like, hey, I can't see. And if a child tells me that, then put your body where you can. They're like, what? Like, right, I can move out of my square? And to give them that freedom to problem solve and find a, a way to get through, uh, you know, 
if you're going to learn to drive, you have to know how to move different ways. There's not always going to be a box to sit in. Also, I was going to say a lot of teachers um, put children in like uh, in a circle and let's say they're having story time or showing things. And if you think about it, the children that are on your right and your left, they can't really see, you know, you're having to turn. And it's like, why are you in a circle? Why can't you just say to everybody, sit where you're comfortable and, uh, you know, make sure that you're you're safe and show what you're showing. You know, I know there are some games and things that you, you play in a circle, but I think that children are put into a circle or into a line lots more than they need to be. Getting on our soapbox about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of curious to dive in deeper. Like, why? Why, are, why is this the norm that we're going to just make everything as kind of cut and dry and like we're just going to get straight to the point? We're not going to, because it's easy. Right. Well, I, I think a lot. Go ahead, Tina. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, um, it. It's one. It's easy. It's the way that they, you know, that teachers learn. That's how they were taught. So that's what they're doing. And the second thing is, um, they don't want to take a risk. They're afraid. Uh, I, one of the analogies I always talk about is, um, and not to equate a child with a dog. However, that's my analogy. Is that. <laughs> If you have a dog and you keep them on a leash and you keep them on a leash and, you know, all of a sudden you go out to a park and you take them off the leash, of course they're going to go crazy because they've never learned anything else. But if you have them on a leash and you train them and little by little you train them how to be off of a leash, then when you take them off the leash, they're like, oh, okay, so, you know, and and they're fine. And that's the same with children. If you give them a, a little bit of um, instruct, not a little bit, instruction and a little bit of leeway, little by little, then they're going to understand that, okay, now we're not going to go crazy. It's such, it's such a, a night and day experience when we go into a classroom of children that we have been um, teaching for a long time. And let's say we're going to blow bubbles and they don't go crazy because they know that, um, the bubbles aren't going away and their bubbles are fun to do lots of different things with not just pop. But if we go into um, a classroom where we've never been and we don't give them any instruction, which we, we wouldn't, we always will give instruction. But if we just started blowing bubbles, they're going to scream. They're going to go crazy because they don't know anything else. And a teacher that is somebody that's not a teacher that wants to take risks, then they'll get shut down. It's like, no, I'm never going to do that again. Instead of really, um, uh, we have a whole list of how to make your teaching successful and um there it's a list of um 13 points which always will help a teacher instead of just going like okay just you know yeah try this all at once it's like if they try something and they're like well it just didn't work and it's like well did you start small you know or did you use um creative movement uh, I, I don't mean to say creative, uh, creative drama in it did you um lesson plan did you think about what music you were going to use so there's that whole list to help um, teachers be successful i think a big part like tina you were saying that's how teachers have learned to teach the the play-based experience and this uh innovative way of teaching is so fresh and so new i think that a lot of teachers still have a really hard time with it because 
I, I came up in, you know, in the industry of, you know, I'm going to get my certification and this is the way you do things. And it's a lot about control, controlling your classroom so that you can teach them. And the teacher has an agenda and there's a checklist. And a lot of schools, you know, they're having to do the the TEKS or the, the STAR test or whatever it is that they have to check that list off. Whereas our philosophy, if it could just mix in a little bit, is getting outside of your comfort zone and taking that risk, letting go of your control over the children and let them take control. Because like Tina said, there's this assumption that everybody's going to go crazy instead of teaching them self-regulation so that kids can be how they naturally need to be moving their bodies and talking and uh, just going and being joyful instead of trying to keep them in this little box. I think if that philosophy of really opening up everything like that could help kids learn better to learn the math or whatever it is that they're needing to do for the star test or their teaks and yeah, I, it it's really breaking the norm and the, the standard of what always has been. Well, and it also has to do with um, the, uh, the higher ups, the, um, the director or the principal or the administrator, and them being able to um, have the philosophy that the teachers can try this. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily even start with a teacher. It starts higher ups and and. And I do understand some teachers are like, well, yeah, this sounds great, but I'm not going to be able to do that because the rule of our school is this. Well, then it might be a, a good idea to, you know, have somebody like us come in and, um, you know, talk to the, the administrators to begin with and, and to, you know, get it to trickle down to the kids. Okay. Well, just jumping ahead, I'd imagine you guys are offering this kind of training and in services uh, online now, so anybody in the whole world could probably tap into it. How can they connect with you and learn more from you? We are still developing um, professional development for our online audience, uh, but over the past few years, we have a, a Facebook page that's dedicated to uh, creative educators. We have been uh, on the circuit of those live performances and when the pandemic started and everything got shut down, we uh, really had to focus on our classes. So that virtual model, all of our energy has been put into children's classes. But we do have, because of when we started our uh, professional development so many years ago, a lot of online content that's already available where we were doing Facebook Live classes. And so we have lots available. And the way to reach us, of course, is, you know, our website, which is artsaliveinc.com. We have Arts Alive Facebook, Instagram, all of those things. But we specialize. Well, when we're talking with a particular school, we like to really be a part of their family and like, what are your needs? What are your ages? And so we try to specialize everything. But we do have uh, some content that's already available for free online. Thank you. I'll put a link to those in the show notes too. And Perfect. I've seen them and they're awesome. They give you, they give you such a great window really into what you guys are doing. Um, so like, how would you give us an example of maybe how you would teach something? And when you say teaks, what we're talking about is what Texas education, knowledge and skills. It's yeah, kind of I don't like know the if standard, they changed it. Yeah. Right. But, okay. So, um, it's like a standardized, um, educational, uh, 
subject, you know, uh, where outline, right. outline yes. of things that need to be taught. Yeah. So let's say I'm a teacher and I'm like, well, but I have to teach, you know, my science class how um, plants grow or I have to teach the ABCs or I have to teach addition and subtraction in first grade. I, you know, there's no choice about it. How can you give us maybe just a little hint as how you guys integrate core curriculum into your lesson plans? So uh, uh, like two-sided, as far as our lesson plans go, we've got these really little guys. So we have the preschool audience. So it's not as much we have to teach those core curriculum, but when, we, when, when it's flipped and we're not in the classroom teaching our student, students, it's flipped that we are the teachers to the educators. What we try to help those, the math teacher, the science teacher, what we're trying to share with them is the philosophy behind how to teach that subject and still be joyful about it and really know who your students are. If you've got a group of kindergartners, you're not going to treat them like they're eighth graders. And we've been doing this so long, so we have this, uh, a lot of, like a checklist of things you can do with this particular age, this particular subject of how to put joy in your classroom through movement, through music, and little tips like that, because we know that every school is different, every classroom is different, and even with the same ages, you might have this classroom is like way up here on, I need to really manage my uh, the discipline in the classroom, and this classroom, it's like, oh, this one's, I can implement things a lot better, but we just really try to specialize with whatever that teacher needs, and um, try to figure out what they what they need to have in their classroom. One of the philosophies that we have too is um, tell me and I forget, show me and I remember, involve me and I understand. And so everything that we do, we are making sure that the children are involved. Yes, we tell them and yes, we show them, but we go that third step. And I think that sometimes um, educators are not taking that third step. A lot of times it's because they are, you know, teaching to the test. They are um, thinking, okay, I have to get the kids to understand all this stuff because it's going to be on, uh, you know, the test and they're going to get, you know, the um, standardized tests. And they never get to the part where they involve them. So, um, Andrea, you mentioned um, uh, learning how seeds grow. Well, we have a whole lesson plan called the Growing Garden, and um, I was actually doing part of it yesterday where we were growing pumpkins and we were growing potatoes and talking about the difference between what um, you plant to grow a pumpkin, a seed, and that a potato doesn't grow from a seed, and but they both have vines and um, becoming those, you know, we were the vines, we were planting the seeds, we were the rain, we were the sun. And I know you're not going to do that with an eighth grader. Um, there's a different way to in, involve them. But with early childhood, um, it, it's just so much more fun instead of, you know, just showing a book. And we do that, too. We have a book about this is the seed and, you know, this is what it's going to look like. Um, it's very important that um, you do the, the telling and the showing part, but also getting to the involving part. And I did not make that quote up, by the way. Um, many It's used many different places, but it is one of my favorites. Yeah, and I think that it, 
what one of our biggest philosophies is when we have uh, educators in front of us is really teaching out of the box. We have a whole uh, lesson on that, of that part that you're involving the kids is really getting out, uh, out of the box, teaching out of the box, finding different ways to reach that audience, the, that particular group of kids. Awesome. So tell me about how you start a lesson plan. Like what's your creative process just going into it? Do you, do you start with a theme or a song or a prop? How do you, how do you uh, come up with this stuff? <laughs> I think all of the above. Like uh, when I came in, there was, I don't remember exactly how many lesson plans, but since then we've developed lots more. Like I'm with Tina and we're doing a cat lesson plan. I'm like, why don't we have a dog one? And so we developed a dog one. I'm like, you know what? I love dragons. And uh, I developed a dragon lesson plan. And uh, as far as the original stuff goes, Tina, I, I don't know if it was a song or something, but sometimes it's the idea. It's like, could we have a whole bird lesson plan? Sure, why not? And you know, and that became extravaganza. Right. We, yeah, we don't actually have a, a bird one, but we do mm-hmm. have an egg one. <clears throat> um, Andrea, that's such a great question because I think in the beginning, the first lesson plans were the ones that I had used for my um, thesis, and they were based um, on some of the. Um, in uh i used to uh, work for a company in austin called dance associates and that's where i was teaching um as i mentioned before the um, ballet tap and jazz and and tumbling also um and i was starting to use everything that i was learning um i was uh in grad school for um uh creative drama and children's theater so um, i was using my creative drama skills to teach the dance and um i was uh every um um at the end of the year uh we would have a recital and there would be a theme and so we had a you know a cat one we had a, um, a garden one we had a water one and so i started teaching and using those themes so the very first themes actually came from ideas from a different company but then when i started and started developing other themes it basically was just what our kids interested in dinosaurs you know yes (laughs) um you know going to the farm farm animals yes going to the zoo yes jungle yes um and it just developed more and more themes and the one of the last themes I created was um, very different because, like you said, is it based on a song? This one was when um, Pharrell Williams' Happy came out, uh-huh. and it was right around our um, the 20, 20th. 20th anniversary of Arts Live, and I had not created a new lesson plan for a little while. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to do one because I love this song, so all of the songs... <laughs> Um, were you were you there? I don't. I was remember. there with my yeah. son, and we That's danced a happy yep. your anniversary celebration at the church That's downtown. What I thought. Yeah, it That's was what awesome. I thought. Yeah, so it was all just based because I love that song. So it's called House Full of Happiness. Cool. And all of the songs are based on um, our songs that either have the word happy or um, like joy to the world things like yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. When I, uh, the yoga curriculum is our newest curriculum and that, it, it seemed very easy to develop for me, like just being, you know, in Arts Alive for many years. I did it a couple of different ways. It's funny thinking about what you guys are talking about. I would take 
an Arts Alive theme and switch it to a yoga theme. So Wonderful World of Water became Depths of the Ocean. But then I started thinking about particular poses that I love. And, you know, cat-cow seems so easy, but, you know, these three- and four-year-olds, it's really a challenge to do that particular pose. So I developed Revitalizing Rainforest just so we could do the jaguars. And so I've developed the yoga curriculum based on an Arts Live theme. I've done it based on a particular pose or like the sun salutation. I'm like, oh, sun salutation. I need to put that in with our sun and sky. And so I developed a whole sun and sky lesson plan for yoga. So being, what's the one about the heart of the hero? Oh, heart of the hero was from superheroes, which was uh, so funny because the kids get so jazzed and it's really interesting and challenging to keep the, the mindset of doing yoga and <laughs> It doesn't have to be calm, but you want them to stay on their mats. But when you're being superheroes, can we fly around the room? And that one was a, it was a learning process because I'm taking all of these really high energy uh, superhero songs. So I had to change the music. I had to change the concept a little bit about we started becoming the, the superheroes. And it was heart of the hero and using our heart power with our strength and our love and... Uh, that was that was a real fun one, but they get super excited. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited just hearing about these. I want to do all of them. That's so much yes. fun. You can come and play anytime. Oh, yes. thank you. Well, you know, actually, I've been playing a lot at home, um, especially these past six, seven, eight months. I um, bet. I'm so grateful for having had the opportunity to work for Arts Alive and train with Tina. Um, 20 years ago oh my gosh yeah it w- i mean it was just the best experience and um my kids have both had arts alive and they um just two nights ago busted out singing yellow submarine from <laughs> the was it from wonderful the wonderful world of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually from three of them a uh, wonderful Where, world of water we use it we use it in um uh, Anchors Anchors away. away, and uh, we used to use it in Pirates, but then we changed Pirates a little bit. Yeah, so they were singing it even with the hay, uh, in it, you know, and they were they the were having I, a ball. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I and I was just looking hay. at them, and it was such a dream come true, you know, to see how much they've picked up, and um, it was really, really awesome. It's so wonderful to hear that your kids are doing Arts Alive things at home. I was curious if you knew that we have Arts Alive TV. It's a page on our website with pre-recorded videos that anybody can go and just watch. Oh, that's awesome. No, I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. I will definitely tap into that. And I would really encourage other parents to do the same. Can you guys talk a little bit about like as a parent, you know, how this has impacted you in your relationship with your child or maybe what you've heard from other parents and just how um, this isn't just for teachers and kids, but also for the family. And, yes. uh, and before we go on to that, I did want to say that um, the Arts Live TV, the, it's not like you have to commit to a half an hour or an hour. There, there are little snippets that you can watch or you can watch some longer ones. I think the longest is about a half an hour, but some of them are only like three minutes. So the Arts Alive TV page is designed for uh, for kids to just go in, click on anything. There's just a scrolling thing that we have the music, we have creative movement, and we have yoga. And they're all two or three songs. So 
five minutes tops. If you want something a little bit longer, you can click on, uh, it's on the, our little icons at the top of the page, our YouTube channel, where we have okay. a full length, uh, a yoga class. Cool. So there's lots of different things to uh, see. And to answer your question for uh, not just kids and teachers, parents, yes. Um, it's so funny. There's a whole segment of development that I have in my brain for uh, uh, Arts Alive advice just for parents. Because when we started developing our professional development stuff, we realized that lots of these teachers are also parents. And parents are also educators. So getting that message of what to do in a classroom can easily be translated into how you can do things at home. And lo and behold, here's this pandemic where everybody, every parent is literally being thrown into being an educator full time. So uh, our messaging that we have specialized for teachers, there's a real easy translation to go to parents and we're we're developing that to where it's more just parent-centric, but we encourage parents to participate with their kids while they're doing Arts Alive because it's just fun to play. And uh, what we do when we're on our Arts Alive TV or in the YouTube, we're talking to the kids directly. So as a parent, my advice would be to let the kids guide you. I always tell parents, you're welcome to come to my yoga class, but what you need to know, I'm not going to teach you. Your kids will teach you because I'm teaching the kids and the kids will set the example of how to be the jaguar on the branch doing cat cow and you get to show the parent, the, the kids get to show the parents. So yes, there's a, a, a so much for parents to learn through the philosophies of Arts Alive and what we are trying to communicate to teachers and now that every home is a classroom, it's even more uh, relevant Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a yeah. ton of fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. How old are your children now? Five and seven. Oh, wow. Yeah, but perfect I mean, arts alive age. Yeah, they are. And they're very <laughs> young at heart. And this has been, you know, it's a family tradition to dance and play and play pretend. And um, your training definitely instilled in me an appreciation for just going with their imaginations and giving them my full attention and time and saying yes. Yes. And, and you know, yeah. yeah, and you, you always said going with the flow and keep the flow going. Exactly. Yes. I have a great example that I, you know, it, it was a, something that really happened to me that instilled in me the, um, the that this works. And um, it was, we keep talking about Becker. I, I mean, it's so funny because I remember it. Um, and it was so long ago, you know. 18, 20 years ago, um, I was teaching and I was all excited because it was a space lesson plan. And um, a little boy came to class, um, you know, probably four years old, and he had firefighter um, boots on. And he was so excited. That was all he could concentrate on. And the other kids were interested in his boots. And I'm trying to get them to listen to me. And we are, you know, going to go into the spacecraft. And um, and I said, oh, wait a minute. It's not the ladder to our, sh our spaceship. We are firefighters. And we are climbing up the ladder. 
and um, get, you know, we are going to make sure that we can put the fire out. So we all climbed up the ladder, we put out the fire, and as the fire was out, and I was like, oh, through the magic of Arts Alive, here we are in our spaceship. So I went to where he was, I got them all satisfied with the, the firefighter story and the boots, and then they went to where I was, and that is just the perfect example of going with the flow and keeping the flow going and not fighting against, you know, beating, beating your head and against teaching the out of the box, teaching out of the box and, um, and taking a risk. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, you know, I had not put that into my lesson plan and it, it, it worked. So it was really one of those moments where I'm like, okay, this, this really does work. And I mean, it's not going to work 100% of the time, but it, it, is um, it is a philosophy that I think is is really important. Instead of you know I have um, these bullet points on my lesson plan and I'm going to get these done and it's like it's okay if that um, magical bullet point appears and uh, you're going to take a, a diversion and then get back you know hopefully get back to where you wanted to and if you don't on that day then do it the next day. Awesome. Well, I was going to ask you how you define success. And what you just described, it really, you've been talking about the process and not, I want to hear it in your own words, but like, it sounds like, you know, you're not trying to check some things off. It's really, it's really about that relationship. I think I define success um, in, in, in my teaching um, as that the children are happy and joyful and um, they uh, are happy with themselves and who they are and um, they are working with other children um, in big, you know, large groups and small groups and individually. And, um, and that it's just a very, it's all becomes very natural to them. Um, the, I, I just feel successful when um, everybody's happy, really. Absolutely. Cool. I, I think a lot of teachers that are in the classroom, it might be a, a different challenge to feel successful. Uh, we are very fortunate at Arts Alive to be able to go in and play with these kids. And f for me, success in the classroom is that uh, joy that I see in the kids. I know that I've, I've achieved success if that one child that is the quote unquote problem kid that the teacher said, oh, you better be careful with, you know, so-and-so today. If can, that child- Can you tell that we get that said to a lot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I, I, I have <clears throat> one of those kids from time to time. I, I hear that from the teacher. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just, it doesn't break my heart, but I, I just, I live for it. I yeah. did a demonstration class not long ago uh, with a school and one little boy, like literally doing laps around his mat. And my words to him, just stay on your mat, stay on your mat. And I never got angry at him for not being on the mat. And I walked out of that demonstration class as like, whatever happens, that child needs to be in my class. I told the director, I said, give me his mom's number. And he is in my class and he talks the entire time. He still does laps around his mat, but I see him and he just loves what we're doing because 
He is successful. I am not wagging my finger at him. I am not telling him he's doing it wrong. I acknowledge when he does like sit on your mat, sit on, oh, I see you. You are ready. I'm so excited. And it's just that one child finding the joy, being successful, just makes everything I do worth it. <laughs> I, have, um, I have a question playing the devil's advocate um, with somebody that would say to you, Anissa, well, what about the other kids? Is he disrupting the other kids? Are they getting the quality <clears throat> of a class that they should be? Great question. So a lot of times that happens and it does need to be addressed where, but I, it's really addressing it with that particular child. I have the, the situation with this class. I have four children doing a yoga class. And right now, because of the nature of what, how it is, my class is small, we're social distanced. And so him doing laps around his mat for now is okay because he's not disrupting anybody else. He's not being loud. There have been a few times where it's like, if you need my help, I can help you. Nope. And they make that decision on their own because I've given that opportunity to do so. There was one instance where he was trying to act really silly and still the words like, excuse me, uh, trying to get the other kid's attention. And I don't address it with him. I address it with them. I see what he's doing. And I see that you're paying attention to him. I need you to look at me and like really kind of ignore the bad behavior and praise the good behavior. But the nature of Arts Alive and how we're constantly, you know, uh, teaching that self-regulation, it's, I think, easier for that type of child to just really realize in the moment like this behavior isn't doing anybody any good. But I know if I just do that one little thing she wants, she's going to see me right away. She's going to give me the praise that they're obviously looking for that attention. And yeah, he's he's only tried it once. I um just listening to what you're saying, Anissa, made me think of something. Another of our uh, big, um, big things that we do in Arts Alive. And it is when I have a new... Um, teacher, which you might remember, Andrea, a long time ago, I would talk about um, having a little mini, mini me, a little mini you on your shoulder that is observing how you are teaching. And if, um, for instance, um, and I do this still to this very day, um, if I'm talking to the kids and uh, I think that they are being bothered by another child, by some you know, teachers that are talking on the side. I have my little mini me going, hey, Tina, it's not that they're bothering the children. They're bothering you. The kids are fine. So you don't need to um, uh, address that at, at that time. Or the mini me might be saying, hey, you just asked the kids a question, but did you really mean to ask them a question or did you mean to just give them some information? And that's one of the big ones that we talk about a lot. If you are um, talking to children and you say, are you ready for class? It's like, well, why did you ask them (laughs) if they're ready for class? You are ready for class and it's time for class to begin. What if the kids say no? Then where are you going to go with that? And um, we see that so much in in children and in parents and in people just talking to each other. Um, I'll watch a, um, 
somebody doing a, a lecture and they keep saying, um, right. And I'm like, well, why are you asking me? Right. You know, it's like, don't, don't, you know, you know, why don't you just tell me? And I think it's just a bad habit of like, um, people in Canada and, and where I'm from Michigan, we say a, a lot eh? at the end and people put like, <laughs> right. And they make it a question or as a teacher, um, are you, uh, are you ready to go get a scarf on the table? What or who say? knows no. what 10 plus nine is asking that question before you teach the material. Uh, Andrea, yeah. you asked a little while ago. Oh, sorry, Tina, what? I was just uh, piggybacking on that. Why are you asking them? You are setting up half of the class to fail and not everybody to succeed. Um, why don't you, uh, whatever it is you are teaching, you should say, um, this is this here, this is a feather. And you know the feather comes from a bird, and and talk about the feather and staying instead of saying, who knows why birds have feathers? It's like, well, who cares? Who who cares? Who knows? It's such a um, antiquated way of teaching and antiquated way of of, of talking to people of 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 um, trying to get information. Why do you want them to give you the information? You are the teacher, you are the educator. So give that information instead of asking. And that's that little person that I have on my, and I still do it sometimes too, especially if I'm, um, oh, you know, just not as prepared as I should be, or um, I'm nervous for some reason, or, um, you know, whatever. I'll find myself um, going into those bad habits and luckily, I have my little mini me saying, "Why did you just ask them that? Just tell them. Um, why didn't or why didn't why didn't you show them or involve them instead of telling them?" Anissa, uh, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, you said something about you know how is it being a parent doing this and you know the communication we have with parents as a parent personally. It's so interesting to look at how my kids have grown up in the world of Arts Alive. My daughter, Marley, is 15 now. And when she was, you know, uh, early elementary, Stephen, three years behind her, she wants to share all of this stuff with her. So I started teaching her at that age, you know, say she brings her math homework home and she's having to learn her multiplication table. So she likes to ask Stephen. She's like, Stephen, what's two plus five? I'm like, Marley, you're asking him that question. But have you taught it to him yet? You don't ask the question until after you've taught the material. So she learned that at an early age. But now she'll come home. She's like, you would not believe these teachers. They just get up there. Who knows about Western civilization? Blah, blah, blah. And like, list these questions. She goes, and everybody's sitting there like, I don't know. You haven't taught it to us yet. So I just love that my kids are coming up in this new mode of thinking that why are the teachers questioning when you, you just literally open the book to this chapter, nobody's learned anything, but you're going to question everybody here and make them feel like they don't know anything. Right. And, Where and really, it may not be that the teacher wants them to feel that way. It's just that that's how they've learned to teach. And um, that goes right back to us wanting, you asked, um, uh, how do I feel successful? And it is when the children feel successful and the children have joy and uh, you're not setting them up to succeed if you're you know asking them all these questions and it and 
it is the way that a lot of us have been taught. So it's just what, what we do. Right. Well, you guys have been so successful in the arts and creativity and education and also just as business people. So would you like to share any insight or advice on how your company operates and um, how you've trained so many people and worked so long with your staff? Well, I want to um, go back to the beginning because um, like when we were talking about how the lesson plans were developing, I didn't sit down and do a business plan. I just did what I loved. And I'm not saying that that's the best way to do it. I don't even, didn't even know and still don't, you know, follow a true business plan as far as, um, uh, you know, like a company would. I started with just, you know, teaching from my heart and, um, you know, little by little, it's like, oh, well, this is successful. This is working. Um, let's keep doing this. Let's keep doing extracurricular classes um, and not so much curriculum enrichment, which is um, not as um, uh, financially great for us. Um, we still do classes like that where a school pays for the class. Um, however, we found that, um, you know, individuals um, paying for classes, individual families is better, more lucrative for us, but we didn't stop doing it. We used to do birthday parties and, um, you know, practically giving them away for a song in the beginning. And um, my wife, um, who is in a, uh, you know, does a lot of um, business analysis, looked at what we were doing and she's like, well, yeah, you're doing, you know, 10 birthday parties a weekend um, and you should be making money, but you're not because of, you know, it's not balanced. So you need to either up your birthday prices birthday party prices or stop doing it. And so, yeah, we, you know, started uh, having birthday parties at a, a much higher price and we did lots less, but we didn't, all the work that went into the party um, made us realize that, oh, well, that's why we're not, you know, it's all the, the work on the back end. And then pretty soon it's like, you know what, um, let's just, that's not really part of our business model anymore. That's not really part of what we want um, Arts Alive to be representing. So then, you know, we didn't do that anymore. And Anissa, I know, can talk a lot about, you know, where we have just come from and where we are going as far as our business plan and and all that. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, well, one thing to know about Arts Alive is we are not nonprofit. And that is a common misconception just because we are arts, we are education. <clears throat> and But, you know, like Tina said, when she started this, it was, how can I do what I love? And she did it and it just started. Uh, Wendy and I, uh, Wendy Hart is our director of operations. We have all been there. Wendy came in Two 96, I came in at 98. <clears throat> and together we form a beautiful triangle. Yeah. And I think uh, part of why we've been able to maintain what we've been doing for so long because we have three creative brains working together that really complement each other and we work from our hearts and when we're out there it's like yes we know we need to make money we have teachers we have to pay salaries but we also have the schools that you know what the school can't have us because they can't afford us and we go with that school and say what can we do like, how can we be here? And so how can we work with you? We don't want to lose you. 
Yeah, it, it's, you know, being a for-profit business, but having the, the heart and the mentality of a not-for-profit business, we just really try to move forward with all of those things in mind. And sometimes it's a struggle and a juggling act, and we're really trying to find how we can move into the future keeping that the heart of arts alive uh, uh, with the magic that we bring to schools and but you know right now like for everybody it's just unprecedented our business has it has impacted our business we're trying to figure out how to navigate through finding different platforms to reach children since a lot of kids aren't in the schools because we don't uh, in the past we haven't had a studio we go out to schools because that's what what Tina found was something different. You know, kids go to the gymnastics classes or dance classes at the studio, but what about those parents that, you know, have a younger kid or aren't able to really do that after school or after work time? Arts Alive goes to the schools. And now that's just totally different. So, you know, we're Hopefully navigating. Not forever. The, yeah, we're navigating the waters of, you know, we already have a lot of YouTube content and developing uh, more virtual choices for children and uh, for children and for the professional development side for teachers and then also uh, in development as you know a parent avenue as well awesome well I wish you all the very best success and thank any success you. for you I know will be a wonderful gift to the world so thank you for thank you sticking to it and, um, and figuring it out thank you Let's close with this. Let's pretend, as you love to do, what activity can we go do now to tap into the joy of Arts Alive? And what are your words of encouragement to us? Oh, that is so fun. Um, oh, ooh, ooh, so every, idea. okay, you go, oh, you go, Anissa. I, I was gonna say just something really simple for anybody to do, to take a, a little bit of joy is just start one of our keys to success is start small. Just put some music on in your house. That is like the one thing that I, I think anybody that wants to just get their body moving, feel a little bit of joy, find what whatever streaming service or you know playlist you have and just put music on while you're cooking, you're cleaning. When your kids come home from school, have music on as they enter and just see where the flow takes you. And I was, uh, we're, we're such a good team, Anissa, because I was also thinking of um, the prop kind of thing. And so um, a long time ago, I realized that sunglasses are magical because they become, they make us feel like we're somebody else. And um, when you put that music on, put some sunglasses on and just like be somebody else for a little while. And just, you don't, what is it? Um, the, uh, dance like nobody's looking well yeah you know, you're yep you know do that the sunglasses help that and you know if you have something to you know swing around like a dish towel or a tie or whatever you know that it just it just helps um having you know more props it makes you um i know that we might be talking to a lot of you know dance people out there that it comes more natural but to the people that you know, it, it doesn't, um, you know, using a, a prop or, um, you know, the, uh, the costume, you know, put on a fun hat or whatever. We've seen so many, you know, wonderful videos of everybody at home, you know, doing fun things. And um, I, oh boy, that just has brought so much joy to me to see that the families, you know, dancing together and, um, 
and I just think that uh, the joy that you know is in your heart sometimes people have a hard time you know letting letting that out because they think they're going to be judged and you know nobody is paying any attention to you believe me (laughs) (laughs) nobody cares just do it and, and have fun Uh, I think some words of encouragement, just go back, go with the flow and keep the flow going. It's okay. Whatever happens, just keep the flow going. It doesn't have to be that checklist. If you have an agenda, that's okay. But if it gets changed, go with the flow and you can always bring it back. My guests today are Tina Sabuco and Anissa Dwiggins. Their company is Arts Alive. Tina and Anissa, thank you so much for being part of Dance Talks. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Andrea. Such a joy. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share our podcast and reach out to us on social media if you'd like to talk. To support Dance Talks, donate to Dance Houston. Talk to you on Monday.